Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hey guys, I'm really excited today to be introducing you to Brooke Martin. Well, there's no real easy way to put it, but Brooke is a legend. She has just returned from the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, the 173-kilometre race that circumnavigates Mont Blanc Massif over in France. She, well, she killed it. She finished 23rd female overall at UTMB. And what is most remarkable about this experience is that this has only really happened for Brooke over a period of about three years in the sport of trail running. She has some pretty good blood and as you'll hear in this podcast, Brooke comes from a family of Olympians. All three of her family members, her mother, her father and her brother, uh, have represented their countries at the Olympic Games. So Brooke really has bloomed in her sporting career later in life and I would think that she would agree with me that the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc result has been her best result ever. I guess what I really wanted everyone to hear in this podcast today with Brooke is about her attitude. Her attitude to how to perform, her attitude about how to prepare and to leave absolutely no stone unturned. I'm really fortunate enough to say that I have worked with Brooke as one of her mentors over the last three years, and I can't believe the transition that I have seen since I first saw her about three years ago at a trail running camp in the uh, Victorian Alps. See, when I met Brooke, well, she really didn't know a whole lot. She was a very raw to the concepts of training smart, raw to the challenges that she had with her nutrition hydration. And I think at that point had only um, just completed a 50 kilometre event at the Ultra Trail Trail of Australia in the Blue Mountains in Sydney. So to come from that three years ago to absolutely killing it on the world stage at Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc in France this year is a remarkable achievement. And I think that you are all going to get a huge amount out of this conversation with the lovely, giggly, joyful, spirited Brooke Martin. Here we go. Here's Brooke. stoked to be sitting here and having a chat with you today via Skype from your hometown in Sydney. So how's life up there? Very good. Thank you. Very good. I'm I'm supposed to be working, but it's far more fun to chat to you, to be honest. So yeah, I mean, why, why would we want to work when we can talk no. about life in the universe and also yes. your experiences at UTMB, which you've only just got back from your overseas travels. Uh, how, how was the trip? It was uh, extraordinary above all my expectations and I had very high expectations, but it, it exceeded everything in both good and bad. So no, a really 
amazing experience. And are you talking about your expectations in terms of like what you expected of yourself or just what you expected of the event in Chamonix, France and the whole like the whole plethora of excitement that goes with it? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought I'd really kind of mentally prepared for how big and and also how hard it was going to be. And, you know, I thought, yeah, no, I've got that covered. And I just had no idea. <laughs> I really <laughs> didn't. And in the middle of it, at one point, I thought, you just had no idea at all. <laughs> it, was, it was so not relevant in some respects to anything else I've ever experienced in my life. And, and that was um, fascinating in, uh, and, and surprising a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, and how could you have that understanding or, um, I guess, appropriate expectations when we come from Australia, like the land down under, the bottom of the planet, and, you know, going back in my own experiences and having to step up into the world scene for sky running, orienteering and trail running, um, you know, we, there's just nothing like it down here in Australia, is there? So Really, truly not. Like it is, um, you know, like it's an massive sport there it's not a side hobby it's a honestly it's like for me it felt like what I've grown up watching the Tour de France you know come from a you know a bit of a road bike you know mad family and you know got up and watch the Tour de France on SBS and seeing, you know, that kind of, you know, crowd on the side of the road, that's what it felt like. It was nothing like any kind of trail race I've ever done in that respect. That was quite stunning. Like just even walking around the town in the few days before and you're like, oh my God, there's, you know, Tim Tolverson and David Landy's having dinner down the road from us. And you're just like, it's all a bit like, it's super exciting and overwhelming. And there was, there was a couple like really famous girls that I saw and I was so like starstruck and wanting to take a photo with them. And I was just way too much of a chicken, but I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, there I'm, there's Rory Bosey. Oh my gosh. And I'm elbowing my mother and saying, look, look. And she's like, Who, who's that? And I was like, she's really famous. She's really famous. You know? Well, you must have got your courage up at some point because there's some um, beautiful photo evidence on your social media page. <laughs> you with even Killian Yornay at the end at the airport on the way home. So. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll completely admit that that was me in um, a bus and going, oh my gosh, I think that's him. And then in fact, I was still too wussy. And my mom was like, oh, could you take a photo and grab my phone? So I was like, still, still too wussy at that point, to be honest. <laughs> so I guess feeling like that and and being a part of what effectively has become the Olympics of ultra running and trail running globally now what were the emotions like what were the feelings like while you're standing on that start line amidst I guess chaos which is uh, what it honestly looks like. it was probably the most sick I've ever felt on a start line in my life it um it really was quite um you know a big vibe but you could genuinely feel it's a mass start so you know total chaos compared to something like the UTA where you got these beautiful waves and you're all organized this is just you know think mosh pit um you know crazy mm-hmm. and because you're all jammed in this tiny you know street in the middle of the town in the square you, you can actually feel the vibrations like physical vibrations of everybody around you it's mm. a really strange feeling but it was also I just got to a point where there was just too much overstimulation and I really just wanted to run I was standing next to Chantel Farrelly a lot of our the Australians we were in a little pack together there was like 10 or 12 of us kind of hanging out together and Chantel was like oh my god I just need this to start and I felt the same way I yeah. just 
was a little bit like, wow, it's exciting. And now I just need to put this energy into just calming down and getting the show on the road because it, it became a bit overwhelming, but um, no, it, it was, it was cool to experience kind of that kind of thing where they've got the rousing off to war music and you're everyone's counting down and clapping and you're like oh man do I belong here like what oh god what have I done and and the unknown I mean I that's the aspect of ultra running that I love is you nobody I don't think the best guy or girl in the world and the last back of the backer nobody ever knows how it's going to unfold and that's the really exciting and also very scary thing about standing on a stat line. And I think you could do the same race. I've done the UTA quite a few times and you still don't know how it's going to pan out. You might have a better concept, but you never really know. And I love the, um, the opportunity uh, and the potential at that moment of something amazing could happen and also something really terrible could happen. And that's, it's enthralling and terrifying at the same time. And, you know, it's like a love, hate, like excitement thing. I like yeah. that. Oh, I've, I'm feeling that so much. And I think, you know, I, I obviously have worked with you and helped you um, in your preparations for this event, but when you've Thank invested. Thank goodness for you. Oh. Thank goodness for you, honey. Bless I would think truly unprepared without you to be oh, I feel like I've learned more than you um but <laughs> it's definitely been been a complete journey for the both of us together and I think um the word the, or the catchphrase that to me sums up some of that preparation was winging it but uh, <laughs> very much so yeah but how you know how long in advance this goal has obviously been something that you've been dreaming of for a long while so like how long in advance has this goal been simmering away and when did you really get cracking on preparing for this event well I originally heard about this the first time I did my very first ultra I did what is now UTA 50 it was North Face 50 and I did that in 2014 and um, I read about this sometime, you know, around that 50K and thought, oh, my gosh, that mostly the photos looked amazing. And I was like, that is the most amazing place. I had been to Chamonix before just on a holiday passing through and I thought, wow, that's so incredible. But I genuinely looked at it and went, well, there's just no way. I, I, I even, you know, Googled how do you get in, how do you enter, and I was like, there's no way I'll even be able to ever get good enough to get the qualifying points to even go in the lottery. Like it, it wasn't, and I, I mean, I have pretty good self-belief to be honest. It wasn't, it just didn't even really cross my mind that this was in the realm of possibility in my lifetime, which is weird because I don't really, you know, put a ceiling on a lot of things, but I really just, it didn't occur to me. And then what changed? Well, I think I finished that 50 and I said, my friend asked me at the finish line, you know, are you going to do the 100? And I was like, are you out of your mind? Never, <laughs> ever. I'm never doing that again. I think, I think I've I said found, that a few times as well. Well, I think everyone, everyone says that. The first ultra for me was a truly terrible shock. I had no idea I could feel that bad for so long and I was really a bit traumatized at the end of it. But then, you know, you, you kind of get over that and then you get a bit intrigued and then once I kind of did the, the the first hundred, which of course I thought would be a good idea about a week after the fifty yeah, was that, finished. That's about oh, when it kicks in. Yeah, when yeah, you've got well, like I the think you just need about forty eight hours for the real I've learnt this now having done quite a few. Forty eight hours is about the time to 
really forget how bad it was and start thinking, well, it'd be interesting if. <laughs> and, and so I think once I went back to the UTA 100, that was, uh, you know, I, I started then genuinely going, okay, you know, what happens next? And, you know, I, I felt that I really needed to do a hundred miler before I went to that, um, because I did not want that to be my first hundred miler. And so, you know, I, I worked with you and kind of made a plan and did my first hundred miler, you know, at, towards the end of last year. And then I had my points and just rolled the dice and got really lucky in the lottery. But so probably, you know, a good two years kind of actually doing proactive steps of how am I going to set this up so yeah. this could be a possibility. You know, I started planning my year in 2015 for the races I would need to do in 2016 to give myself the points that – and you can collect the points reasonably easily. But, it, you know, it's a little bit of a plan. And then we, we found out in January. So then really set up the whole of this year um, and had some serious challenges. Actually, you know, um, got in and was quite hurt when I got in. So I was calling you in a panic going, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, like it is It is incredible though, Brooke. I mean, I think I met you around that time of 2014 on a camp, on a training camp in... Oh, you did because yeah. I was in a complete panic about doing my first 100 and I thought, what am I going to do? I'll go yeah. to a camp county. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing for someone to, to come from no real ultra running background before May 2014 and effectively three years later be standing on a start line at the UTMB the Olympics of trail running and ultra running and then to finish what was it 23rd female overall yeah yeah does that blow you away yeah uh, yeah yep I'll be honest I I had I mean I set some pretty high expectations because I think there's no point in not doing that because if you don't set the bar high enough you'll never reach anywhere so but even how did you work that out um, I, I looked at what I had run for GNW, um, hundred mile and it's half the elevation gain. So I thought, okay, you better add a few hours. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I looked and I looked at, um, I looked at where I would like, where I would feel that was a really big achievement for me personally within the, you kind of, um, percentage behind the, the women, the, you know, the w- winning woman and whatever. And, so I kind of had a personal thinking of like, gosh, if I could run 35 hours, that'd be great. And if I was in the top 30 of the women, that'd be, you know, you've really gone pretty well. And and I beat both of those, um, you know, I was 31, 57, yeah. so I was way under that time. And, and I mean, you can't control who turns up to a race and and how other people are running, but you, the only thing you can control is is how you do. But you know, as far as results, you know, I, I'm definitely someone that is a bit of a perfectionist. I go back and I look and I'm like, oh, 15 more minutes, you would have been in the top 20. But, you know, I really can't be too unhappy with the going in fairly blind to UTMB and coming out, you know, a third Australian girl and, you know, we come from a pretty flat country, so yeah. um, and a you competitive know. one. So, but I'm interested to dig back. You mentioned that you don't believe in not setting the bar high. I mean, how? Where's that attitude come from? Is that something that was instilled in you growing up, or is it something that's innate to Brooke, or something that you've learned along the way? 
Uh, I think I'm I'm pretty fortunate. I come from um, a fairly um, strong sporting background in my family. Um, both my parents and brother are all Olympians. Um, my, wow! Hang on, like, yeah. <laughs> tell us about that. You know. yeah. So my uh, my parents um, they met training for the Winter Olympics um, the year before. The, they both went to 1968 Grenoble Olympics. My dad was um, an Australian cross country skier, and my mom was an American speed skier. Wow. And um, so they were in the winter sports, but two different sports. And then, you know, we grew up, my brother and I, Boyd, uh, we grew up doing so many sports, orienteering, which is where I know you through, and, mm. you know, a lot of bushwalking and, you know, you know running, skiing, all that, biking, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think where Boyd and I were really fortunate is growing up, our parents were still very competitive in their own areas. And so we got to see it in action as we grew up of, you know, the capabilities you can have if you apply some really um, intense mental focus. And I think, you know, just growing up in that environment with two people that were mentally so um, tough, you know, Mm -hmm. um, my dad was an extremely good tactician when it came to racing and even just you know having him you know walk around the little primary school cross-country race and go okay well you know you might want to slow down on this hill but then this is a good time where you could kick or you know like things like that from when you're it sits in you you know I know it's in my brother he's gone to two olympics as a equestrian rider um you know so it, it, it it's just something that it, it was normal in our household and and I also have lots of people that always, oh my gosh, you feel so much pressure and I think it's totally the opposite. Anyone that has been to the high end of a sport realizes there's no way you, you could make someone else go there. It has to be so completely self-driven. So, you know, we were completely, you know, if you wanted to do something, go for it and you must kind of apply yourself properly. Um, but it's all your own gig, you know, from that's, when we were quite young. That's a really mature thought and a really interesting one because, you know, I think back about my upbringing and, you know, my parents weren't athletes but they were incredibly active and my dad loved wild adventures. So <laughs> the wilder the better, the longer the better, the wetter the better, <laughs> the colder the better. Um, and I often laugh with him now and say, you know, you could have made me or broken me. Uh, yes. Yeah, we, we, so. overland track Christmas bushwalk, and um, I do clearly remember. I don't know. I was maybe like twelve. Boy was ten, something like that. We were in knee deep mud. It was very miserable. It was raining, and I clearly remember my brother saying, "Can we go to Club Med Lindemann Island next year?" <laughs> and my mom and dad said, "We're not really the Club Med Lindemann Island kind of family." <laughs> that was yeah. it. But so. If you don't mind me asking on record, like how, how old are we now, Brooke? Uh, I am turning 40 next week. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not super excited about no, it. No, no. There's something not so fun about getting old. I don't know when we went from it being exciting to not being quite so exciting. But, um, yeah, we, I think we all crossed that bridge at some point. <laughs> oh, I've crossed it. <laughs> so, but, so obviously you are reaching some of your greatest achievements a little bit later on in your um, career as an athlete. So what was it like to be the daughter of three Olympians 
and not be an Olympian yourself? Like, was that um, was that a pressure? It, was know, there an internal it, pressure? It was a thing that early on I was really, you know, when I was like 16, 17, I was really, you know, I had a lot of focus on it. I rode horses myself. And I really was like, oh, gosh, I think this is really something I want to do. And then I honestly um, came up at like, you know, 19, 20, 21, and within the sport of venting that I was doing, um, I honestly took a hard look at myself and thought, mm, you're not not good enough, but you're not committed enough to really – want this that much you have to want something that much that it will override anything and everything Mm. else and I really realized that that wasn't you know everything that I desperately wanted in the world and so I you know I was kind of all right with it you know I mean I you know I go to you always have that feeling when you go and watch someone do something amazing you want to be able to do it. You want to be the person there. I, I think it, I, everyone would feel that, you know, I go and watch Boyd at London or Rio and I'm like, Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? I would love that to meet me, but I would not love what he has had to do for the last 15 years to get there. And yeah. so you can't love the the glory moment without loving all the other bits in between, which is really the vast majority of it. Everyone only sees the tiny tip of the iceberg. They don't see the whole bit under the water. So how have you been able to find that place where you can be performing exceptionally as you have been recently, but also being able to do the other things that you want to do? And what are those other things that you mentioned that you realized you, you needed in your life? Well, um, I get up really early. <laughs> no, I, no, I, you know, I, I went, I became a, a, a ski instructor and lived overseas in Canada for about 15 years oh, and travelled a lot, a huge amount, got to see an amazing amount of the world, which was really fortunate and wonderful. And I still really get to travel quite a lot. But, you know, you also have to fund the lifestyle. So, you know, I've got to fit in. Uh, you know, I work 45, 50 hours a week. Um, and in, I sell um, educational books, so, um, you know, for teachers and whatnot. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm flexible. I work for myself, so, you know, I am a bit flexible in my hours. So, I, you know, I, but I often start in the office quite early and kind of I start running really, really early. <laughs> I do a lot of head torch running. There's a, I, I get to see the daylight on the weekends when I run. The rest of the time, it's in the dark. Um, but you know, I think it's it's not it's not very hard to make something a priority when you find something that you're really passionate about. It, it it's not a sacrifice if you're passionate. Mm. Yeah. But you're infectiously bubbly and like super, <laughs> super vibrant character. I mean, a joy to run with on the trails, a joy to be around as a friend. Thank How, you. Like, have you always been, you know, like that, or is that something that you've worked on to be that positive about life? And oh, no, I'm definitely not always positive. <laughs> There's plenty of not positive, but I, I know, I, I find. Well, you're probably seeing me at my best, Hanny, because honestly, that's one of the things that I have found just so um, fascinating and infectious and addictive about the trail running thing in the last few years is it makes me really happy. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I've had a couple of friends like, oh, my gosh, like a little bit obsessive about this, like it's taking over your life. And I was like, yeah, no, you're totally right, actually. But <laughs> it makes me happy. And so I, I think if you can keep trying to do the things that make you happy, then generally you might – 
you know, be better person in life. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that if, you know, if I am, you know, I struggle just like everyone else with, you know, many life challenges. But if you can find something, I was talking to a friend running the other day, we were running ridiculously early morning, going up and down hills. And she has three young children and she gets up at 4am runs with me because that's the time she can do it. So she can come back and make school lunches at 6am. And we were both saying, oh my gosh, how do people get through life without some sort of physical outlet? doesn't have to be running, but yeah. something like, because I wouldn't, I would not be a very nice or happy person if I did not have something like this on a yeah, daily basis. Definitely. So has running started to form, like, is it therapeutic? Is it meditative? Like what, what for you is the purpose of running other than to be happy? Um, a little bit, I, I think I said this to you the other day, I, a little bit, you said something to me once we were running on one of your running tours and, um, you were like, oh, you know why you like, you know, you know why I like being fit? And I was like, I couldn't breathe or answer you because you're going really fast. And I was trying to hold onto your tail going up a volcano, but <laughs> I was like, no, honey, tell me, please tell me. And you were like, I just love that it lets me see places in the world that maybe other people won't ever get to see because they don't have that fitness. And I think for me that resonated so beautifully. I've held on to that little thing nugget that you gave me that I was like, wow, that's a little bit how I feel. It lets me see extraordinary places and it lets me explore the mental side of things in a way that I've you know, never really dug into as much as I have in the last few years. Like it, you go down the black hole in a race and the, it's interesting to see how you, how you measure up. Do you, and you don't always measure up. I have races where I don't measure up and then I have other races where I do. And I love that. Um, yeah. Challenge. So can we dig into that in, and if we're talking about UTMB again, um, Tell us about, you know, what the highs and lows were like in UTMB. I mean, can you just give us like a short understanding <laughs> of what the hell it's like to start a race at 6 o'clock in the evening and run through to effectively two nights and get to a finish line with a zillion other people around yeah. you? Yeah, it was, it was um, interesting. Like it went through as do all ultras, but this seemed like it was exacerbated. It went through cycles in a big way. Um, and you know, early on, I actually had a really bad time and I was, I mean, I'm talking really early on as in 10, 12 K in, I was really struggling, um, physically, uh, very breathless, fainting, feeling Why like I was, feel that was going on. You know, who knows, honey? Um, no, you know, sometimes it can be for me, I, you know, I'm a really competitive person and I can over, you know, run it early on. Um, sometimes for me, my, I have a lot of problems <laughs> nutritionally and hydration wise. Mm. I can make myself sick pretty much in every ultra I've ever run bar two. Um, but, you know, I think maybe it was also just the whole pushing too much and having to really have a red, you know, red line in my body say, whoa, 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 you aren't making it the finisher. Guess what? We're going to slow down here whether you like it or not. And, and, and kind of having that self mechanism kick in to, 
make yourself pace better. And was that um, something you trained, you know, prepared for in training? You know, I'm so glad. I had a really um, a great friend that I've run with who has raced UTMB before, and I, <laughs> I'm a real over preparer, organizer, list upon list. Yeah, I can even imagine. <laughs> oh my god, do I organize? And I was really lucky. I had. Some great resources um, here in Sydney. There was three um, people that had done it before, and they were so – I love the trail running community for this aspect of they were so open with their uh, knowledge. They, you know, one of them organized a breakfast, and all the people in Sydney that, you know, knew them said, hey, can you come? We want to ask questions. I took a printed list of questions (laughs) because I'm a real geek. And um, so I'd luckily been able to speak to one of them and she had said, hey, it was so weird. They talked us through the course and they and they said, look, the first climb, I felt terrible, I, absolutely terrible. So I honestly, it was a little, I had a little mental thing of like, don't panic, you know, Tanya has mm. done this race before and she said she really struggled here and just, and then I had some friends come past and they're like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, yep. And they said later, oh, God, you look bad. And I was like, yeah, I was bad. But then, you know, there's so much time in an ultra. Um, the more I've done them and the more experience you gain with each one, I think you just learn so much in every one. And so then you can take that experience into a, a bank and have that to call upon when things, that similar situation yeah. pops up. This has happened to me before. So, you know, not on that mountain and not in France and not in a race this big, but I have experienced, you know, narrow neck, 15K, and I think, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Yeah. My body is not connected to my brain like what's going on and so I you know you you do at least have that experience to go oh well just calm down slow down and it will come good and I think just even knowing it will come good is something that is just worth everything and it is like we need to have a toolkit I always think about my vest pack that I'm carrying my gear in as my toolkit and in that when I'm packing away the mandatory gear and what I'm going to need for a mission a challenge an ultra a trail race I'm also thinking about packing my toolkit and making sure that I have the tools in my toolkit that I need and I know that some of the things we worked on with you in the lead up to um, UTMB were new tools like we needed to work and we can come back to this later, but on your mindfulness and ability to calm your your thoughts down to bring you below the red line, um, to work yes. on your hydration, your nutrition. And I think that's what we're doing all the time in training, isn't it, is trying to ensure that toolkit is really ready and full and raring to go. Yeah, I know. I mean, everyone talks about, oh, you know, the mental is so important. Um, I I just think it's it's if you have a general good level of fitness and you've trained specifically for the type of race you're going to then really besides nutrition and hydration the thing that really counts is where your head is at and how well you can control the blowout because they will happen you there is I just I don't think that you can do an ultra and not have some points where you're going to struggle mentally. And if you never do struggle mentally, then potentially you're not running fast enough because yeah. <laughs> you should be feeling bad at some point. You know, that, that, that is how it is. It's a race. And I think what the good guys have learned is how to shorten the period of how bad it goes, control, yeah. you know, control the losses at that point. And, 
it's something, no question for me, I've got better and better at. Um, I still, for me in the UTMB, between Trient and Valencine, the wheels came off in a big way uh, mentally. Um, I just, I stopped fighting to go forward at my best pace possible. And, you know, I was getting picked up by a lot of people, which for me, I'm normally stronger in the second half. So I found that really demoralizing. And, um, you know, even there was, uh, Sally McCraig, good American runner, and we'd gone backwards and forwards a few times and she caught me again. And, She's really lovely. She's like, I promise the down is coming soon. I must have looked really bad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. And she ran off into the dark and we were in the second night now and it was super, it was sleeting and it was really muddy. It's very dark. It was very, very cold. And um, I just didn't even fight to try and stay with her. I just let her go, which – you know, it's that mental attitude at that point where you're yeah. just like, I never even came close to thinking I'm pulling out. That that it, it was not even a, a question. But I really got into that, well, I'll just walk along here and who cares how long this takes and yeah. whatever, you know. And then so that that's a that was, you know, something where I was like, God, this is and I recognized it. I knew it. And but I was like, okay, you've gotta you've gotta try and fix this in some way. And so I started making a plan for the Valencine. It was the last time I was going to see my mom at an aid station. And I was like, you've got to have a plan because you are shaky here. And I was like, okay, make a plan. Is this the point when you um, thought that some people in a truck were your mom and that they were speaking French, even though your mom doesn't speak French? This is about an hour before that. So it continued to get worse. I come into the aid station. I've got a plan. I'm like, I'm going to change my shirt because I'm freezing cold. And my mom has this this ugly hot pink top that she's been trying to give me for the last three eight stations <laughs> and I'm just going to put it on because I'm freezing and and then I'm going to eat some soup even if it makes me throw up everywhere and I'm just going to walk out of there and I, I got in there and a really good friend from Canada who lives in France was like oh my gosh and I didn't know she was coming it's the middle of the night it's pouring rain I'm like what are you doing out here and then I left there and I think I think I was actually having some real problems with in, in retrospect, I didn't really recognize it at the time, but some real sleep deprivation problems. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, we've talked, uh, I would definitely try and add caffeine tablets to my um, arsenal going forward. I um, left there and I was going along near a river and I think the river was making the sound, you know, kind of put you to sleep a little bit. And it wasn't <laughs> very technical and so I'm kind of plodding along and I see these headlights on the side of the road, people following the race, it's, I don't know, 10.30 at night, and they start waving at me and I was like, oh, it's my mom and my friend. I'm waving back at them and then – they start yelling in French to me and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that mom knew how to speak French. That's amazing. <laughs> and I, it really, and then my eyes started closed. Then I stumbled a few times and I kind of shook my head and didn't know why I was wearing running clothes. I was like, where am I? Why am I in the running clothes? Oh gosh. Oh gosh. I think you're having micro sleeps. I think you're falling asleep. And I just panicked completely. I took, you know, 400 milliliters of Coke and three caffeine shot blocks. And I was just like, oh gosh, oh gosh, this is very bad. And, and the caffeine really did work. Um, it took about 10 minutes and I really, truly came good again. But only then did I think, uh, I don't think that was mom speaking French to me in the car because we're strangers. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you, you'd mentioned that you'd got in the bath when you'd got back to your accommodation oh. after it was all over and was still sitting there going, yeah, I, I don't think that yeah. was my mum. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really strange how um, wobbly your head gets. It's a very, um, a very, I mean, it's a, it's a cool experience, but it's also you get really confused with things um, and, and you think, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm doing Or you have this real one set, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then you walk into an aid station and you just forget all of it. Like your brain just goes into, you know. And I think that's the – if you can go into problem-solving mode there quicker, you know, earlier, um, you know, where I left Trian and I was in trouble. Like it wasn't dark yet, but I was stomping up this hill and, uh, you know, I was just really mentally not with it. And I think if you could have caught that, gone, gosh, I need some caffeine gels now, you know, get on top of the nutrition. It, I mean, it's nearly always a nutrition hydration problem. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. It. Yeah. But, but often you, if you get into it too quickly, and like then you can't recognize it as that problem because you're already down the rabbit hole. I'd like to dig into this because the start of this discussion was you talking about how elites and even amateurs, you know, both get in these difficult places, but it's how long you dwell in them that really to to a huge degree in ultra running makes a difference between the elite and the amateur. And I remember this from when I was an elite orienteer and one of uh, our national coaches said to me one day, he said, Hanny, the difference between being a world champion and just being like another one in the race is that world champions, they make the same number of mistakes as you but they limit it to a fraction of a second. Like totally they, agree. they have that tool to kind of recognize it and do something about it. And whereas like, you know, back then I was the kind of athlete that would was when I was orienteering. So I would get yes. lost, I'd start making a mistake, I would and be panic. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time it comes back to a, an ability to be brutally honest with yourself, mm, isn't it? And, I totally agree. Yeah. And quit and and the and to pick it up quickly to that the I've often you know I've had you know glucagon tablets which are from you emergency mental thing for me it's a little placebo of like can I give my brain some happy things I have been in terrible shape and I've had them in my pack and I haven't taken them like I've just gone too far past the point of trying to fix things and then you get in this Ugh, there's nothing you can do. It's not going to yeah, work. The and, negative you know, I, I, I said to you, I saw some video of uh, Francois Dion and um, Killian Jornet, you know, a video of them in that uh, Trient Valentine so area. First and second in the race. Yes. Yeah, and yep. I mean, they only finished about, I don't know, 300 hours in front of me. And <laughs> I, but, you know, in your head, you're like, they're, they're supermen, they're, they're gods. There's just no way that they're, they're not mortal. And then when you see the video of them climbing the thing that I thought I may spend the rest of my life on, they look terrible. They mm. look absolutely terrible. Mm. And you think, oh, Actually, they're just real men. They're going a whole lot faster, but they are, they're not doing this without hurting any more than anyone is doing it without hurting yeah. because nobody is winning that race without hurting. You know? And I guess that's why we want to be having this discussion today, Brooke, isn't it? Because I think there is this kind of uh, attitude, especially in Australia where ultra running and trail running is quite new, that 
um, to be as good as the results say that even you got at UTMB, which was phenomenal, um, you have to be an athlete and, you know, you've got to be this superhuman strong being and, and elite athletes, we don't, we don't go through these points, but we do, don't we? And oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we had, you know, two Australian girls, you know, fifth and 10th, two girls in the top 10. And, you know, um, both of them are spectacularly good runners and have um, Kelly Emerson and, and Robin Bruins, and they have very good backup. But, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think Robin started doing ultras, you know, that long ago either. You know, you, you don't. And I, I honestly, and I know people, oh, Brooke, you're just, you know, small noting yourself. I, I, I'm not, and you can, you can say this, I'm not a spectacularly talented runner. I'm really not. Um, I, I think I am, am pretty good on the mental side of things. Um, I think that I am really, really good at trying to educate myself and surround myself mm. with people like mentors like you that That's I trust opinion and, true. yeah you know that kind of thing I think you can you can bat so far above your average if you just educate yourself a bit like yeah. there's there's so much to be gained in just reading things and reading people's race reports I mean I read tons of race reports and Roger Haney wrote one and I read about him having a you know, safety blanket cut up so he could shove it down the front of his shirt so he didn't have to take his pack on and off. It saved me. It absolutely saved me. Having just read that little thing, I did it. And I might have got bloody hypothermia without the thing, you know, like it was, but it was just a little nugget of information. And he put that report up, you know, anyone could read it. Like you can, you can do so much to help yourself. You don't have to be the best runner in the world. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, when I when I first met you at Krakenbach, you, you're right. I mean, I remember I was working with another very talented coach who's also a very good runner, and we kind of mm-hmm. just fell into this routine that I would tend to kind of hang back with sort of more um, the the developing runners and yeah. the runners who weren't as quick, and he tended to kind of fall to the front of the group and work with the front runners. And I remember I spent a huge amount of time with you then, which tends oh, to suggest yeah, you, did. you weren't an elite, uh, and no. that was 2015, so summer of 2014-15. And um, yet you're right, you have been able to identify your assets and strengths strengths as an athlete and to be able to bring them to a point where you can celebrate them and that was really at UTMB this year and and that really is your curiosity and your strength of mind um and interestingly when I was um it was actually after I won my world title in 2006 uh, a coach came up to me and said I always knew you were going to achieve that result because you had the ability you were like a sponge you, you would yes. sit there and you were the only one who would ever bring a, a journal when we had me <laughs> bring a journal when we had like educational sessions and and write your notes down and I think I want to come back to a comment I made a bit earlier which was about this need to be incredibly honest with yourself um it's really painful, isn't it, to be able to sometimes reflect on something that you don't know or something that you've done and realized you didn't do it at your best yes. and be willing to go, oops. <laughs> yeah, oh, so much so. I mean, I think I think there's there's two aspects to it. Um you know, I think I think it's an inherently Australian thing. We we tend to limit ourselves in that we don't 
want to be a tall poppy and we mm-hmm. go, oh, we're not, we're not elite. I'm not professional. I have a full-time job. I'm 40 years old. Like I can't, I shouldn't be, you know, I, I, I just do this as a hobby and it's something I really love, but you know, I don't have the right to want to be as good as I possibly can be. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think we should approach it that way. I think, why shouldn't I read what Killian is doing in his training? And just because I'm not going to be that good doesn't mean that I can't try to emulate that. Like read what the very best people are doing and learn from the people that are the most experienced. And I, and I don't think that means that you're full of yourself. I just think, you know, it gives you the best opportunity. Like there's no reason that you can't be that good. And then at the end of each race, truly, I always sit down and write my own little notes to myself of like, okay, did you really do everything you could in that race? What could have you changed? What could have you improved? And and sometimes I realize that I didn't probably run to my potential for whatever reason. Mm. And then sometimes I'm really happy and I'm like, wow. And I've also learned that at the end of a race, if I can genuinely say to myself, there was just nothing left to give, then I actually am personally really happy with the result, whatever it may be. So is um, that your definition of success, do you think? I, well, it's funny, like, you know, UTA this year, I actually placed one place worse and I was so much happy with the result mm. because I could sit down on Monday after the pain signal subsided and I could really carefully analyze the whole thing. And if I compared it to the previous year, I I ran a much better race in that I just never really backed off and gave myself an out, you know? And so then there, if there's nowhere, like I look at the aid stations and I look at each section and quite critically of like, what could have you done here, there and everywhere? And I, there was nothing left to give on that day. So then then that's it. That's what you got that day. And it might change on another day and it might change with your preparation and maybe you have injuries and, you know, maybe you get the nutrition wrong or right. But there was nothing left that I could have improved specifically on that day. So it was a great race, you know? Yeah. I'm really interested by this topic because uh, I've been thinking a lot about what success means for me and also Mm. for the people that I work with. And I think for me, I've got to this point where I believe success is a willingness to put yourself on the edge and to sit there and to... Oh, couldn't agree more. Which then, I guess, on the flip side tends to suggest that a failure is not necessarily like not making the finish line or not getting that result, but it's being not willing to sit on that edge. Oh, I I think you could physically win a running race and not actually feel successful in some ways. I completely agree with that statement. And you could genuinely guts it out and be back of the pack and you have bloody done the best thing you could possibly have done you know I, I belong to a, um, a trail running group here in Sydney the, the trailblazers and they're just a really lovely supportive group and there is an entire range of abilities in there and uh, you know there's some people that have come to trail running you know quite late in life and gosh they were finishing the the UTA 50 last year and man they it was just so awesome to watch. It was truly amazing to watch them mm-hmm. and having known what they came from. Honestly, I, they had an incredibly successful 
you know, like, and I think it's just really, that's what the cool thing about the sport is it's quite a personal sport. I mean, have you ever been in a sport where you pass someone and they congratulate you? It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good job. You're doing really well. And I'm like, what, what, what are you, why are you? <laughs> but, um, you know, I love that. I love that aspect. And, you know, for me, I think that's where I've learned at the end of the race, where whether I'm going to be happy about it, yeah. um, or whether I'm going to feel, you know, the UTMB, I, I'm happy, but I have a bit of a mixed emotions because, and I think it was through lack of experience, but, mm-hmm. um, but there is, there is definitely bets that I feel. And I think mostly it came from a nutritional problem, um, mm-hmm. that I wasn't on top of the nutrition in the first night and I paid for it in the second for good night. For reasons. Hey, I mean, yeah. you had oh, tremendous yeah. that, 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 The minus nine Celsius and the snow going sideways and that I couldn't get my hands to work because they were close to having frostbite. And so it was really hard to get gels out of the back. So there were some mitigating circumstances, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, in retrospect, once you're out of the, the whirly gig of it all, I think that's where I realized after the fact, and I'm, I'm wary of lot of food because of having such horrendous, you know, pukey pukison everywhere in every single ultra. Um, but I think, in that race specifically, you know, you're on your feet for a very long time. You, you cannot fall off the nutrition wagon and not come and bite you in the rear end later. So if I backpedal a little bit then, Brooke, uh, you, you're talking about this ability to take yourself to the knife edge, to be able to analyse and be really honest with yourself about your performances and to be able to set goals and, I guess, a pathway towards those goals. So do you bring this attitude into your normal life, into your – I mean, normal life, what is normal life? You know, your other <laughs> life, the, the the working career, the brook outside of running, do you have that same attitude? Is that something you've learned and carried across? Yeah, definitely. And it actually I think it's one of the things that um, has probably improved for me. I think I've – I've always been a pretty goal-oriented person, um, but I've definitely you, – your mindset, um, your uh, belief in yourself, etc. I think that does change the more you finish these ultras. Like I think you just really gain so much self-confidence from it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that aspect I really like in the last few years, I feel that it's something that I can take away to normal life much more than I realized, um, you know, before. And I I don't think I was ever not self-confident before, but there's just so much more um, confidence in dealing with everyday problems and Mm. definitely the ability to recognize that being a problem solver is very helpful in all aspects of life. It's something that is just so useful. Instead of throwing your hands up and going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. just to start breaking it and and also the ability to like break things down you had someone else on um talking uh about how it's re- uh, psychologist is really useful in breaking things down and oh my gosh did I actually use that so many times mm-hmm. in the UTMB of like okay do you think that you can run for another 20 minutes and I was like god no like no I can't but if you broke it down could you maintain this pace for the next five minutes? And we, when, this is when you're just getting so overwhelmed and you're just, 
oh my gosh, this is, I'm, you know, I'm sitting at 80K and I've got another 100. Like, this is insane. And if you break it down for a little while and you keep just doing the small increments of things, then eventually you don't need that little, I will just run for the next five minutes like this and then we'll make a new decision about things. And after a while that goes away and if you can apply that to, to normal life. It all, it all sounds great saying it. Uh, half the time in real life, I don't manage to apply it very well, but I try. I try. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, that's the attitude, isn't it? Like it's it's a willingness to have a go. And again, it brings you back to that definition of success as like a willingness to kind of be able to sit in that discomfort and try to do something about it. And, I, I think people that any person that stands on the start line of one of these things is just such a courageous person because yeah. it's always unknown and, and it's very scary we there's very few things we do in life now where we don't know the outcome yeah and um I think it's such an awesome opportunity but it takes a whole lot of courage to do it you know it's and it doesn't get any less scary to be honest it doesn't it's still it's still bloody I think the most scared I've ever been was standing on the UTMB is that right like it doesn't but that's that's kind of the enticement of it as well if it was easy Everyone would do it and it would hold no value. Exactly, exactly. But you're someone who has, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you've faced some huge challenges. I mean, injury has definitely sat up there (laughs) and also that nutrition, hydration. But let's talk about injury. I mean, what were some of the changes that you began to make in the lead up to UTMB with your preparation to overcome those injuries? Well, you know, January, February, you know, I was in desperate straits. I was on the phone to you having hysterics going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And, I mean, I was really lucky with you. You gave me quite a few tools. But, um, you know, for me it's been a a multi-pronged approach. I have, you know, a lot of knee issues, as does pretty much anyone that, you know, runs for a long time. And and I don't think that there is any, you know, one in – in running ultras that doesn't have to manage niggles in some form like I think it's part of the sport it's part of the problem solving process you know um it's just part of it but um for me I had I changed my diet quite dramatically in that I am very fiercely cut out um sugar and I kind of went to you know a high fat low carb kind of ketogenic style thing to try and reduce the inflammation in my knees um, I started doing yoga. I'm not a yoga kind of person, but, um, I have been doing some yin yoga twice a week religiously since January because I found that really helpful. Um, I did some fascial stretch therapy. I did dry needling. I did chiropractor, physio, acupuncture, icing my knees every single day. Um, you know, and then also just working so very hard at having the patience to, power hike um if I couldn't run and then listening to my very very smart mentor Hanny Austin who said <laughs> are you out of your mind you cannot go to Buffalo if you can't run 2k bro <laughs> and, <laughs> and I but it was the first race that I've ever um you know had to pull out of I you know I pulled out five weeks before because I called you in hysterics and you said are you crazy? And I was like, pretty oh, much yeah. really needed someone to tell me that I knew it was crazy, but I needed you to tell me that and to recognize it, hearing it coming, bouncing back, you know? Yeah. And, um, 
And then that was a terrible experience. Everyone's going and I didn't get to go and it sucked. But, you know, it was definitely the right decision in the long run for UTMB, which is the thing that I was, you know, really aiming for. Gearing up for. And I, I think it's really, really hard for me to stay really positive and believe it's going to get better. And when it goes for a couple months, I, I think the negative mindset makes it worse. And everyone says, oh, don't worry about it. And, you know, that's, that's impossible. It's not – it's something you really care about. And but, but putting all of those, you know, things together just slowly started it coming good. And then, you know, having said that, it's not very good right now. So I'm having to go back to all of my things that worked before and go back to my management strategy. And, and I think for me – recovery um more so you know i i just have to recover and you know i follow you know your wave theory of having you know moderate week hard week and then a really cruisy week with a mission and for me i would not have even got to the atmb if i didn't have that kind of um program because i can't just build and build and build because i just and hurt all the time otherwise it's really interesting though to be able to talk with someone who has such insight into themselves and also such discipline I mean like (laughs) I'm just thinking about myself sitting here and I know others will agree with me that there are many things that we have also thought about you know doing that we think you look this will really improve my life quality or this will really make me feel like a better person or a healthier person I mean I'm thinking diet is a classic one that a lot of us sort yes. of turn to, to to make changes so how on how on earth <laughs> did uh, honestly you... honestly for me I am I am exactly the same um you know the doubling up the strength training and doing all of the food and everything. For me, I need the fear of a really hard race for it to happen <laughs> for me. Um, it's for, it's not hard for the alarm to go off at 4am and make yourself get up if you are scared out of your wits for what will happen if you don't do it. And um, that that's all I need as far as motivation. And I it might not be the healthiest motivation, but that is definitely what works for me is um, I know – if I don't have like a goal and it doesn't have to be a specific like right then and there, but you know, I really desperately wanted to go to this UTMB and experience the whole gamut of it. And I wanted to do it, um, in the best shape possible. And so then all of those things weren't very hard anymore when the thing that I desperately cared about was going to require those things to make it happen. Um, so do you think about what, I mean, is Brooke always going to race? Is she always going to have these goals? I know that I'm not supposed to be doing that, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask the question because I know that many of the listeners listening are going to be like, what happens if? But what happens when I – yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think you really do need down periods in between where there's not massive goals. I mean, I couldn't stay in um, like race program, like, you know, training blocks – up and up and up all the time um, because I think you just burn out mentally. I, I don't think I could cope with that. I think it's also um, emotional, isn't it? It's not just a mental, oh, but it's the emotional fatigue that goes with that. Yeah, and, and it's just like the cycle within a training program. You need a cycle of being a bit of a slob and being a bit lazy and not being that hyper, you know, 
organized, driven, because I think you turn into a crazy person. You need to have it tempered with some, you know, relax and, and, oh gosh, if I don't get up today, it doesn't really matter. That's fine. Um, but you know, I do think for me that that hyper training mode requires something. I'm, I'm kind of an all or nothing person. Like I need to be either on or then really relaxed and not. And, um, you know, but I just got to be careful. I don't leave the really relaxed for a long time. Yeah. Really fat and slow. Uh, <laughs> I, I disagree. I can, I can tell the listeners that that's only half the truth. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, the sugar thing that 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 is an interesting one. I well, think. Well, you you were that. the one that unfortunately started me on that. Sorry. I was very devastated when you Sorry. decided. You told me in Crackenback I was having trouble with my knees. Then it's not like it's anything new. And um, I, you know, I I have tr- have had trouble with my knees since I was like a teenager. So it, it you know, it's it's nothing new. Um, and you said, oh. I really feel like this sugar thing and you had tried it yourself. You were laughing about how you and Graham could barely move for a bike ride and you were horrified yeah, it was how awful. it affected you and, and that you had had great success with um, Achilles. And I was like, oh, you know, and you gave me an article and I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll try it. I wasn't really super keen. A, I'm not a really big diet person, to be honest, um, which sounds ridiculous because I've been hysterically strict with my food for the last eight months, but I haven't been in the past. And, um, and I thought, oh, I'll just try it. And unfortunately it felt like it worked, but I was like, eh, could have been a one-off. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> the years, unfortunately, cause I really do like, um, sugar things actually. Um, but unfortunately I have, really come to the strong belief that specifically for me and I think it's got to be an inflammation injury really for it to have the kind of effect it has with me like tendonitis um or you know even swelling with the IT band I find it affects that as well but and it has to be like fierce for it to work as Mm. in literally you cut it all out um, and, and I wouldn't stay on something like this because I, I think it's too restrictive, but man, does it work. So are we um, talking about fruit as well or yeah, I'm talking everything, honey, yeah, fruit, right. like keep, right. keeping, uh, keeping the carbs for, for me from January, no, February, I think February to, um, you know, UTMB with a little bit of a break after UTA, like a week or two, I basically kept you know, carbs to like under 50 grams, did some high fat and I just did not touch sugar. How did that affect your energy? Like I get like cutting sugar out. The most horrific experience. It was so terrible. Combining it. I really didn't almost stay on it because I was like, this is, this is stupid. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't operate. It was terrible. Um, and I was lucky. I had a couple of friends that had been trialing and they'd started about five weeks before me, which was super handy because they said, hey, don't quit for three weeks. And I was like, okay, oh, I don't know if I believe this. And and for me, I temper it um, in a race. I would never um, do a race without, you know, glucose. I do gels and I do shot blocks. Um you know, honestly, in UTMB, I would have eaten anything that I could possibly keep in my stomach. It really didn't even matter at that point. Like, you know, yeah. um, so I don't, 
I don't do that and I definitely loosen up, um, you know, a couple uh, days, three or four days before a race and make sure that I have kind of topped up my glycogen level. So I'm not like a, you know, I'm, I'm definitely yeah. not, you know, thing on that. But I've just found with the, the knee thing, I mean, I had circumstances of like, you know, Easter holidays, I was up running in the snowy mountains and this sounds so ridiculous, but I had like the smallest a hot cross bun and then one, you know, um, the thing of a sticky date pudding and I could barely run the next day. I was in so much, and I'd had like a month of barely in any pain and it just blew up. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And then vice versa, the one thing that gives me some confidence with it is if I get back off it, 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 fixes pretty quickly. Like, I mean, it doesn't fix. I'm still hobbling around right now, but it, it, it improves enormously. Um, so and it just, it's improved too many times for me not to correlate to it to the food. So it, it's, too, it's too obvious to me personally. Why? I'm really curious. Why did you go down the ketogenic line when I suggested to come off sugar to give that a try? When well, I, did the, I did just the sugar to, to begin with and it, it worked, but it didn't work as well as the ketogenic thing. Um, and the, the, the only other added bonus that I found with the ketogenic, and I'm not 100% sure that this is related, but so I did it and then UTA, and I think maybe it's also the different approach we had to drinking, like you and I talked about how I was going to approach the drinking. So I, I'm not 100% sure that this is what it was, but that was the first race, uh, first ultra that I ever didn't throw up in. And, oh, my gosh, can I tell you how much nicer that was, not yeah. having was of throwing my guts up on the side of a run was so nice. Yeah. And I, it's related. I don't know if, if doing the ketogenic thing allowed me to become a bit more fat adapted so then, you know, burning the, the fuel, you know, I was more, you know, efficient in my body doing that. I don't know. Um, but I do feel like it's helped me. Um, control the knee pain and it and it, it's maybe helped me with the nutrition side of things as far as being sick I, you know I'm not 100% sure on that one yeah and that's yeah. probably must because we also spend a little bit of time with you uh, trying to get you a little bit calmer so you know having techniques that you could tap into to bring your stress levels down because we began to wonder absolutely and I also I mean, got to work with um, Daryl from Shots and and he was spectacularly helpful as well with the whole you know, salt, sodium, you know, what are you trying to put in fuel, you know, that kind of thing. I think that kind of thing is really fascinating and just essential to try and work out. Yeah. And I still, still haven't worked it out, but it's interesting, you know, isn't it? Yeah. I guess like, I'm really interested to see where, where it all leads. Um, I've been a bit sort of on the fence to be honest about the ketogenic diet and you know that about me as well. Yeah. Um, I definitely have seen people um, thrive on a more plant-based diet and can still have a low sugar impact. So it's just been really interesting to hear how you've approached this challenge and, um, you know, love to hear from the listeners like what other people have tried. Um, I, I also think, I mean, the more I talk to other people and read stuff and, you know, meet more runners, I don't think that there is one answer for any one person. I genuinely think, I mean, I've met people that have such different approaches mm. to mm -hmm. their training, their food, their clothes, their approach mentally to a race. And, and it, there's no one hard, fast rule that works. Like there really isn't. And I think it doesn't work per person because we're so individual yeah. and what work for my stomach 
might not work for another person and what what work for one injury prevention doesn't work for another person at all. I just think that there's so many roads to roam. And yet there's a few golden rules that if you understand them, like what you've learned and you've learned about the importance of recovery and the importance of Mm. glucose and feeding your brain, you know, there's some really basic fundamentals that once you get them right, then you can work around it. And I think that's why it's been so awesome to work with you, Brooke, is that, you have a willingness to sit in the driver's seat, to read, to learn, to work with others who are at the top of their game, to, you know, have that toolkit there to be able yeah. to look after yourself and coach yourself. And, you know, again, UTMB is just a celebration of that. Um, yeah, thank you. Pretty incredible. So <laughs> if we are to like looking at the time, if we are yes. to start to wrap this back and I, I, I mean, I could talk this hours <laughs> and hours. I like, I we talk, probably I will. When you sat down and you thought back over UTMB and I, I mean, again, like what an incredible result given given <laughs> that it was the worst conditions in probably the history of that race. <laughs> it wasn't that fun, yep. <laughs> yeah. What do you feel would be one change that you would like to make either to the race itself or like in terms of your um, your experience in the race or to the preparation leading into the race? Um, I feel preparation-wise – for my experience level and where I was at, I, I think it was pretty good. Um, if I was to go back again, uh, I would definitely continue with the the hill climbing. Um, uh, you know, I was doing some or a lot of hill stuff with weight vests and hiking, learning how to hike well. You, I mean, you just got to know how to hike well in that race. And um, I, I did really improve my downhill running from the GNW to UTMB and that was just a godsend in that last, you know, um, 15K to be honest. Mm. Um, so that was really great. Where I feel that I definitely needed to improve was recognising earlier in that first night that I'd fallen off the nutrition wagon and needed to get back on and taking the time I, I'm very quick in aid stations. I don't like mucking around and I hate getting to the end of a race and looking at the results and looking at the splits and then going, oh, gosh, if I just not spent that much time in an aid I hate that. So I am, I am a pretty speedy aid station person. But the UTMB was very different for me that way. I was slower than I was before. I still think, I, I still think the longest one was about 10 minutes. I, I wasn't there very long, but longer than I normally am. But I think... I needed to spend more time earlier in the race getting food in. Mm. I just think I was too far off the calorie wagon early on and then and then and it actually I actually didn't really pay for it until much much later down the track. Um but but I think it was really the first night that um I didn't yeah set my food situation and, and 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 hydration. I wasn't drinking anywhere near enough. Yeah. It is um, I mean, so critical, isn't it, to be like right on the money from the word go um, it's because it's very, very hard to come back from a dark place. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and and even though I didn't actually appreciate that I was in a hole, like during the daytime, I was just 
trundling along. I felt I had ups and downs and didn't feel good and did feel good, but I was really just kind of working through each, trying to keep the focus really narrow and just get to the next aid station in the best pace possible and okay work through that and got done that tick let's do the next bit and I was okay um but where I really think that it just accumulated too much was then once I got into the night time of the second one interesting so knowing all of this Brooke and knowing your progression since your first ultra back in 2014 what's some advice that you would give to someone um especially someone coming from that I'm not an athlete attitude and wanting to get into yeah. sport of trail or ultra running. I think straight away you just need to stop telling yourself you're not an athlete. You don't have to be that good to actually be really good in this sport. I'm serious. <laughs> like it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds ridiculous, but you you just really need to have a bit of tenacity um, and and be fairly like organized and extremely passionate about it you know it takes a bit of time and effort but I don't I mean I'm guilty of this myself of going oh gosh I'm just not a very good runner like so how good can I be and actually you can be really good and 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 you still don't have to be incredibly talented runner like I am never going to run like Emily Fosberg not in this lifetime but that doesn't mean that I can't have some really seriously good results yeah uh, especially if you pick races that kind of suit you, suit your style and whatever. Um, but I think that you need to stop limiting yourself in that, oh, I'm not that good, oh, I can't, you know, or, or you know, I'm not professional because... I couldn't agree more because I personally, my view on it is that if you are willing to do the work, then you are an athlete because yeah, totally by agree. definition, that's what it, what an athlete is. People who mm-hmm. work hard to be better at their sport or what they want to do. Um, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So I guess a, a way, not, I mean, this can include the running, but also yeah. interested in this away from the running sphere as well. What would be a message to your younger self if you were to look back to that I think I would just maybe tell myself to have a bit more faith, you know, um, because uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but man, you got to, I got, you got to aim a bit higher, like, you know, and I think it's even something that I've got to learn now, even more so like, because we're scared I'm scared to aim high because then it means that you'll fail if you don't achieve that but I think setting a goal that's not aiming high then leads to mediocrity and I I, gosh I I don't want to wake up at the end of life and not feel like I've done something extraordinary to me you know and so I think you better you better have some faith in yourself so that you're going to lead a life that's a bit more extraordinary. Well, um, as <laughs> sorry, no, no, there's no apologies required. That to me is just so profound and so true to my bones that I, I really feel like that's a really beautiful place to finish this conversation. Um, because I'd, I'd actually like to sit and think on that one a little bit. So, Brooke, today has been um, a joy. It's been exciting, vibrant, eclectic. I think we've covered like a wide range of topics. 
um, you've been such an integral part in my journey and learning so much about, you know, my ability to coach and mentor others. So I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and humility as well with the, <laughs> thank you. the trial running audience and also. The well, I've got, I've got to be honest, honey, that I need to thank you because I, I have, you know, written on social media and told my friends and whatnot, but I honestly think having you as a mentor, um, you, you just fit me and, and we don't agree on a lot of things, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you've, I, I, your approach for me is part of why I think I've had the success I have is because I think you approach it in a whole view. You don't approach it as just running and it's not just running. This kind of sport is not just running and, and thank goodness I met you because I've just gain so much knowledge and wisdom with your approach um and I'm I'm very very grateful thanks Brooke I really appreciate that and you're right I mean I I really want people to see that whilst you can be as focused as say you've been and can really aspire to extraordinary things you can still live a holistic life and a life filled with joy and health and relationships and excitement and still be the best version of yourself and the best athlete that you can be so yeah I think I mean I, I I I met you because I downloaded your free 50k program because I was terrified because I didn't know what I was supposed to do and how I was going to run 50k and that's just like step one and that's all you have to do is step one and then see how it goes from there you know yeah baby steps yeah (laughs) Brooke thank you so much for today um and we'll look forward to seeing where on earth your adventures take you next (laughs) (laughs) thank you Hannah thanks Brooke okay team I just really want to take this opportunity to thank you for supporting my journey into the podcasting world and to helping share stories of people, remarkable people, who I believe are on the journey to finding their feet, many of whom I feel are oh so close to finding their feet too. I guess I've been doing this as something that I love and I don't want to change that. I've also been coaching and educating, again, just because I love it. But sadly, I've got to the point where unless I start to recoup some of the expenses of all of this journey, um, I feel like I'm not going to be able to continue delivering the high level of information and education that I wish to deliver. So this year, I've made the difficult decision that I now need to uh, ask for some funding for especially the training planners and the coaching side that I have been delivering. I've also just completed writing a 25,000 word book or booklet, which I hope is a synthesis of all of my knowledge about trail running, ultra running, and really striving to be the best versions of yourself if you are setting yourself some big goals. It's not just for people who race, it's for people or anyone who's embarking on missions, adventures, and just generally wants to get the best out of themselves when they're outside on the trails. So I'm really hoping that I can ask for your support in grabbing a copy of this book. It won't be too much. It will be, I think, a really great resource for you to have in your, I guess, back pocket. Furthermore, we'll be releasing six-month training plans again for this year's Ultra Trail or next year's Ultra Trail Australia coming up in the Blue Mountains, 
with planners suitable for all abilities, all ages, wherever you are, really, for a 22-kilometer, 50-kilometer, and 100-kilometer event. After this, I really hope to be venturing out into some other planners that may help athletes driving for events such as 10 kilometers, the road marathon, right up to hopefully a 100-miler training plan. So stay tuned for some of these. Look, like I say, nothing's going to be terribly expensive. We're we're really basically trying to work on a dollar a week, a dollar a week to get the most out of yourself with your training, a dollar a week to get a little bit more education in your back pocket so that when you're out on the trails, you can be thriving, not just surviving. So thanks, guys.